Homage to Srimada Devi, founder of a lion's roar of the one vehicle of the Tathagata heart of freedom for all beings, of universal love and compassion. May she open the Dharma gate ever wider. We left off last week in the middle of chapter four, acceptance of the true Dharma, embracing and sustaining, receiving the true Dharma. And we left off with this subheading here, describing the uh, Acceptance of true dharma, number three, subheading number three, identical with true dharma itself, where uh, Sri Mala Devi, Queen Sri Mala of the Lion's Roar, says, Bhagavan, here it says, Lord, you could say, Blessed One. Or world honored one. Bhagavan, acceptance of the true Dharma means the true Dharma itself is not different from acceptance of the true Dharma. The true Dharma itself is identical with acceptance of the true Dharma. Which, uh, as I mentioned last week, sounds kind of like a Zen koan in a way. What is Embracing and sustaining the Dharma. What is acceptance of the Dharma? It's just the true Dharma. Well, what's the true Dharma? It's acceptance of the true Dharma. This is circular logic. But maybe we could understand this in a practical sense as uh, when we're really open to reality, that's what we call reality. Reality means we're really open to reality. That's how it is in reality. Yeah. So. Lay it on us, Srimala Devi. Next section is identical with the perfections. Bhagavan. Buddha. The perfections are not different from the one who accepts the true Dharma. The one who accepts the true Dharma is identical with the perfections. So the perfections here are the six paramitas. I imagine maybe everybody's heard of these. Um, It's a, it's kind of like trademark teaching of, of the great vehicle of the Mahayana. I think I mentioned this maybe before. If we wonder what is the, um, the entire practice of the great vehicle, one response would be, um, 
It is these six paramitas. There's no other practice needed. It covers the whole ground. And uh, these six paramitas, perfections, six transcendental practices, transcendent practices, meaning like they're, they transcend the usual way of practicing them. Like dana paramita, the perfection of giving or transcendent giving means it's not just me giving you something. It's, uh, it's this activity of generosity without any, uh, grasping or, um, dividing giver, receiver, and gift into three different entities. It's natural giving without the sense of I'm over here giving, you're over there receiving, and then there's this action called giving. It's just giving with no giver, receiver, and gift. That's when it's dana paramita, transcendent giving, perfection of giving. The giving that's gone beyond. Giving beyond giving. Dana paramita. And uh, here, the acceptance of the true dharma, uh, or the one who accepts the true dharma, is identical with these paramitas. Remember, the one who accepts, or accepting the true dharma is the same as the true dharma. And here, um, the one who accepts the true dharma, uh, such a bodhisattva, is uh, identical to these transcendent practices, which is kind of a nice teaching that um, a bodhisattva who practices these paramitas, what are they? They are just giving and virtue and patience and diligence and presence and wisdom that's what these bodhisattvas are who accept the true dharma, or brace and sustain the true dharma. Those are the bodhisattvas. Uh, and that, um, that embracing and sustaining of the true dharma is the true dharma. And those who embrace and sustain the true dharma, in other words, the bodhisattvas, are identical with these practices of transcendent giving and so on. In other words, you can't find a bodhisattva in addition to transcendent generosity. Because if we did, then there would be the person who's giving the gift to somebody else again. But this kind of giving doesn't have like some separate person doing the giving in addition to the giving. So the, uh, the person, the one, I think with me, she, she means here the bodhisattvas, those ones, uh, who embrace the true dharma are, um, are these six paramitas. Nice little teaching that if we read it too quickly, we might not notice that 
It's not that these bodhisattvas practice the six paramitas, strictly speaking. These bodhisattvas are six paramitas. So um, why? And this is just, an, you know, it's, it's a nice little chance to kind of go through these six paramitas. And since it's such an important, um, great vehicle, one vehicle, um, display of practices, I think it's worth stopping to read this section. Shimala uh, Davis says, there's six paramitas here. Number one, good sons and daughters. And here we mean children of the Buddha. That's another name for bodhisattvas are these sons and daughters of the Buddha. Those good sons and daughters who accept the true Dharma give even their body and limbs for those who respond to giving. By protecting these living beings' intentions, they teach them. When they are thus taught and caused to abide in the true Dharma, this is called the perfection of giving. So um, interestingly, what's emphasized here is that the... Uh, that these bodhisattvas are um, teaching the six paramitas. We might say they're teaching them by enacting them, but um, that kind of struck me as interesting here too. It's not so much that they're practicing um, dana paramita, they're teaching living beings dana paramita. Because really that's where bodhisattvas are mostly interested in is awakening all beings to um, to reality where there's no giver, receiver, and gift. So, uh, the, and the way that they they awaken them like this is by teaching them dana paramita, and we might say the way that they teach them dana paramita is to perform dana paramita. But the point is that they're using this transcendent giving to teach others the transcendence of giving. Likewise, number two, good sons and daughters teach the perfection, the protection of the six senses, the purification of body, speech, and mind, and the cultivation of the four correct postures. It's walking, standing, sitting, and reclining to those who respond to discipline. Discipline here is the translation of shila, um, virtue, or, um, Ethics, morality, paramita. It's discipline. By protecting these living beings' intentions, they teach them. When they're thus taught and caused to abide in the true dharma, this is called the perfection of discipline. Shila paramita. So uh, bodhisattvas um, teach purification of body, speech, and mind. It's really kind of emphasizing Actually, the discipline aspect of um, Shila Paramita, maybe a little bit even more than the, than the ethical of like, this is good and this is bad. It's teaching them to, like, you know, be mindful of their posture when they're standing, sitting, walking, lying down. 
Number three is good sons and daughters, bodhisattvas. Teach non-hatred, supreme patience, and neutrality, maybe it means equanimity, in outer expression to those who respond to patience by protecting these living beings' intentions they teach them. When they are thus taught and caused to abide in the true dharma, this is called the perfection of patience. Shanti Paramita. Yeah, it's it's a it's a maybe kind of unique definition of of um, when when patience becomes the perfection of patience. That's defined in this sutra as when patience is taught to living beings and they abide thereby in the true dharma. Then we call it the perfection of patience. In other words, when it's when it's conveyed to others, that's that's really awesome, the Bodhisattvas, I think. Because these are these liberating practices of Bodhisattvas. They want everyone to practice them. And the way that the, te- the Bodhisattvas teach these paramitas is by practicing them. And others are inspired by that, open to the true Dharma, just by, you could say, by being in the presence of transcendent generosity, living beings kind of receive and embrace the Dharma. And at that moment, it's the perfection of generosity. Number four, good sons and daughters of the Buddha do not teach indolence, laziness, but the desire to practice supreme perseverance and cultivation of the four Correct postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. To those who respond to perseverance by protecting these living beings' intentions, they teach them when they are thus taught and caused to abide in the true Dharma. This is called the perfection of diligence, perseverance, virya paramita. Number five. Good sons and daughters of the Buddha teach tranquility, constant mindfulness, not conditioned by external objects. And mindfulness of all actions and speech over long periods of time to those who respond to meditation, jhana, concentration. By protecting these living beings' intentions, they teach them when they're thus taught and cause to abide in the true dharma. This is called the perfection of meditation or transcendent presence. Dhyana paramita. Dhyana is, uh, as you may have heard, the Sanskrit word that in um, China they started pronouncing as chana and in Zen they started pronouncing Zen. So, um, Zen is the transliteration of dhyana. These days I like to I like to play with the translation of presence for dhyana. Sometimes you say meditative concentration, but maybe that's a little too narrow for Zen. But presence is the heart of Zazen. And uh, 
I appreciate that Srimala Devi here says, um, these bodhisattvas teach constant mindfulness, not conditioned by external objects. They, we might even say the mindfulness that doesn't depend on external objects. So even if the, um, if they teach mindfulness of breathing, they teach it in a way that makes it clear that the sensation of breathing is not um, an object separate from the mind that's attending to it. That's a little detail of Srimala Devi's teaching. Number six, good sons and daughters, the Buddha, when questioned concerning the meaning of all things, extensively teach all treatises and all arts without trepidation, causing those who respond to wisdom to reach the ultimate in science and art. Interestingly, by possessing the, by protecting these living beings' intentions, they teach them when they're thus taught and caused to abide in the true Dharma. This is the perfection of wisdom. Pradnya padamita. The meaning of all things, that's, I think, our usual understanding of prajna paramita, wisdom beyond wisdom, the true meaning. Uh, here, teaching all treatises and arts, uh, all the teachings of the Buddha, all the practices. Um, um, Gregory, heavenly donkey, did you in your studies um, um, look into that? I, I'm not sure what the Chinese is there. Look into this word arts. Let's see what she might Yeah, do. let me see. Uh... By the way, while he's looking at posted um, Gregory's uh, translation of the of the sutra with his introduction and footnotes on the, in the uh, Google Drive folder. And, uh, I was really appreciating his extensive introduction to the, uh, one vehicle teachings, a reference to a lot of other sutras. Right. The, the term that is Vidya, S-T-H-A-N-A, Vidya Stana. Hmm. Uh, but it really just means fields of learning. That sounds, that sounds right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. So she's just, she's translated it in, into all the arts, mm-hmm. uh, treatises and all the arts as meaning the fields of learning and mm-hmm. the same way as science and art she has there yeah. down below. Nice. Yeah. yeah I did want to, I do want to make one comment about this is one of the few places where I I find some fault with Paul, okay. which is in these six paramitas, there's a very important concept that she leaves out, and it's in the Wayman's translation, and it's in Chang's translation, uh, and that's maturity. Hmm. Each of these uh, presentations of the six paramitas is in four sections. The first section says... Uh, that the person becomes matured by responsive use. Mm. So she, she has the word teach. She takes the word matured and translates it as teach. 
to, 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 to bring somebody to maturity is to teach them. But I think she loses that important concept. The first part is, is each of the, um, a person is matured by the responsive use of the paramita, meaning we use the paramita in response to our situations. Uh, mm-hmm. It is it is the mind described by that paramita that is used in the context of the response. Those who go on protecting the paramita's intentions then ripen to maturity, and those actually matured then are established or abide in the true dharma. So that's that's a framework of four steps of maturity that then is what's called the perfection of each of each paramita. Um and so it, I don't know why she 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 opted to go for an easy reading rather than the um showing the act, the framework of the maturity idea. Yes, uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why she 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 again I'll just say it she she translates the word maturity as teach, and if you compare this section with both Chang's version and the Wayman's version, they use the word maturity. And I think that is a um, is a somewhat common phrase in Mahayana sutras of bodhisattvas, mature living beings, and they bring right. them to maturity. Yeah, it's a, it's almost like they're they're growing and developing. Yeah. Right. Thank you for that comment. Ah, uh, so that's, um, that's a big piece of this res- uh, embracing and sustaining of the true dharma is these six paramitas. And it's a nice exposition of them in the sutra. And, uh, right after this, these six are listed like this, uh, she says, therefore, Bhagavan, the perfections are not different from the one who accepts the true dharma. The one who accepts the true dharma is identical with the perfections. She says it again. And, uh, and, um, I think there's, there's more in this, in this section that you can read on your own, but I wanted to get into, um, chapter five because we can't cover every paragraph of the sutra. So um, moving into the next chapter, chapter five is called the one vehicle. Ekayana. Uh, and um, as I mentioned, Gregory has a nice um, uh, collection of um, other, other sutras that talk about this Ekayana one vehicle. It's not unique to the sutra. It's a whole genre of uh, Mahayana sutras. And uh, this probably wasn't the first to use that term, but it's a nice, again, one of these maybe kind of trademark terms of the Mahayana. What a, what a wonderful idea. The one vehicle. And, um, and in Zen, it, 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 this comes up too. Early, early Chan in China was often referred to as the one vehicle, the platform sutra of the sixth ancestor in its official title is, says it's, this is like the one vehicle teaching platform sutra of the sixth ancestor. So, uh, 
So the Zen people in China liked this idea of one vehicle. And isn't it, even before we start discussing different meanings of the one vehicle, doesn't it already seem appropriate that Zen, this unique direct pointing tradition of Zen, would associate with itself with one vehicle? In other words, as Zen practitioners, there's only one practice. There's one path, there's one vehicle, and there's one fruit, and um, this is it. So uh, goes nicely with Zen. Yes, uh, Gregory. Um, in uh, D.T. Suzuki's um, uh, studies in the Lankavatara Sutra, he he tells the story that's in the uh, continued biographies of eminent monks that when uh, Bodhidharma taught the Lankavatara Sutra to second ancestor Hueka, that he taught it according to the one vehicle school of southern India. And that, that's written in the, um, the continued biographies of eminent monks. Uh, so that's, that, when I read that, uh, uh, that was what flashed my light bulb to go down the, the rabbit hole of the one vehicle and, and really, um, start, you know, delving as deep as I could into it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So from the very get-go, Bodhidharma, our, our first ancestor in China, um, what did he transmit? One vehicle. Uh, yeah, so as far as sutras go, bef- before the time of Bodhidharma, it may be that the first sutra that mentions this term is the Lotus Sutra. Uh, it's probably the most well-known for this term. Uh, one vehicle becomes most renowned through the Lotus Sutra. And I think Gregory mentions that in his, in his exposition on the, on the one vehicle that, that there's a lot of Mahayana sutras that don't mention the one vehicle, like all the Prajnaparamita sutras that kind of came earlier. They're not strictly speaking one vehicle. I mean, we might associate that, but they don't use that term. And when one vehicle starts to be used in these Mahayana sutras, it's kind of like, uh, we might say third turning or uh, kind of Buddha nature perspective. Um, not all the one vehicle sutras that use that term use the term Buddha nature, but many of them do. So there's, I think, um, he's really onto this. There's a, there is a connection there if we start to look at it. The Lotus Sutra doesn't use the term specifically, um, Buddha nature or Tathagata Garbha, but it uses the term, uh, well, it talks about the eternal lifespan of the Tathagata and, um, and teaches in the Lotus Sutra, it said that the Buddhas teach the Dharma for the sake of living beings by means of the one Buddha vehicle. Sometimes it's called the Buddha vehicle, the one vehicle, or the one Buddha vehicle. They have no other vehicles, the sutra says, no second or third. With their powers of skillful means, the Buddhas show various vehicles within the one Buddha vehicle. That's one nice summary point that the one vehicle makes, is that there are these vehicles we could we could look at them as like paths methods maybe even paths to to awakening 
And um, the Lotus Sutra famously brings us out of there's these various paths like that show up in this sutra here too. The Shravaka vehicle, um, the listeners or disciples of the Buddha, uh, that leads to the to the result of arhat. That's the kind of early Buddhist path to awakening. Awakening is an arhat, a worthy one. And uh as one vehicle, the Shravaka vehicle, then there's the Prateka Buddha vehicle. That's like um also considered pre-Mahayana, um, self-enlightened um, Buddhas that are enlightened by conditions, but they don't have like teachers in this world. They realize on their own. And uh, that's also considered a kind of a, a small vehicle approach from the, from the point of view of the great vehicle. But there's a Prateka Buddha vehicle and and then there's the Bodhisattva vehicle, leading to Buddhahood. And uh, so those are those are considered the often when you hear three vehicles, three yamas. It's referring to this Shravakas, Prateka Buddhas, and Bodhisattvas. And two of them are kind of like emphasizing personal, personal enlightenment and insight. And um, good luck to everybody else. Whereas the Bodhisattva path is really emphasizing um, we all have to awaken in the one vehicle together. That's Mahayana, Bodhisattva path. So sometimes it's a little ambiguous whether the one vehicle is the same as the Bodhisattva vehicle. Sometimes that's kind of implied. Sometimes it's like, no, it's one vehicle that includes these three, including the Bodhisattva vehicle. Maybe in a way it's not that different. It's saying that it's one. So maybe we don't want to single out one of the three because that's uh, kind of dualistic. So we say there's just one vehicle in which there are these three. Uh, these three are included within one. Uh, this is the, the uh, teaching of the one vehicle and that, that the Buddha's taught these other vehicles like the Pali Canon, the early sutras, they taught these, um, you know, ways of, of personal liberation as skillful means to get people into it. I want to be an arhat. That sounds super cool. Teach me how to do it, Buddha. Okay. Here's how you do it. Buddha taught that as skillful means. And then later he said, that's not really the whole story. You're free from suffering, but it's a much bigger, it's a much bigger project than this. That's what we mean by skillful means. Uh, yeah. So that's one um, Ekayana Sutra is the Lotus Sutra. A, um, another one that taught it quite extensively. Let's see. Did you have a comment before we move on, Gregory? Oh, maybe I'm um, talking too soon, but um, this long chapter or section five chapter five has a movement and it starts with talking about the shravaka vehicle then it moves to the bodhisattva vehicle it says the shravaka vehicle is within the mahayana the great vehicle and and then it so it talks about the bodhisattva vehicle as the great vehicle but then it moves at the end 
It doesn't even, in the first half of this section, it doesn't even talk, raise the word one vehicle. But at the end, it says, all that stuff I've just been talking about is the one vehicle. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a movement through this section um, that is then recapitulated as a movement through sections uh, six uh, uh, beyond, where, again, it goes back to the noble truths as showing how that's in the one vehicle. And then then the other emptiness and Tathagata Garba, all of these are in the one vehicle. So it, there's this movement where it's bringing people along into the one vehicle by by affirming the Shravaka vehicle, but then saying that's part of the one vehicle. It's part of the Mahayana, and the Mahayana is the one vehicle. Thank yeah, you so for that. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice it quite the way that you said it. So thanks for bringing that out. Yeah, now each one is included within another, and there's a, there's an opening wider and wider. So, um, so another one vehicle sutra, um, in addition to the Lotus Sutra, is the Parinirvana Sutra, the Mahayana Parinirvana Sutra that's, that extensively teaches Buddha nature. In fact, it's the, it's the sutra where the term that we say in English, Buddha nature, um, Busho in, in Sino-Japanese first appears and, uh, probably, um, Buddha Datu in Sanskrit, but we don't know for sure. And, uh, it teaches Tathagata, the terms Tathagata Garbha and Buddha nature extensively in this long epic Parinirvana Sutra. And, uh, one place where it talks about the Ekayana, the one vehicle, the Buddha says the ultimate truth is the one vehicle. The one vehicle is Buddha nature. All sentient beings have Buddha nature. So I say all sentient beings have the one vehicle. Have one vehicle or are one vehicle, could even say. So that's a, I thought, great um, kind of summary of this Parinirvana Sutra and real, and is a kind of definition. Maybe, maybe the Lotus Sutra never exactly defines the one vehicle, although it celebrates it extensively, whereas this Parinirvana Sutra, maybe for the first time, because it was not long after the, the Lotus Sutra and probably before Shimala Devi Sutra, these days people speculate, uh, it says, it defines, um, one vehicle is Buddha nature. All beings share Buddha nature, all beings share the one vehicle. So, um, Later, the Lankavatara Sutra that came after Shumala Devi Sutra is also considered one vehicle. One vehicle teaching is, 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 uh, prominent, important in this Lankavatara Sutra. It's important for Zen. And, uh, one place it talks about that, uh, about the one vehicle in Lankavatara Sutra is the Buddha saying, the recognition of the one vehicle is attained when there is no arising of discrimination based on grasped and grasping and by abiding in reality as it is. Yata Buddha. So um, there's something about one vehicle is um, is about abiding in reality and uh, 
when there's no dis- no grasping discrimination of um we could say dualistic grasping of external objects as separate from mind as a major theme of the Lakavatara Sutra. And Lakavatara Sutra also mentions Tathagata Garba and teaches that, which is another name for Buddha nature. So, um, and Lakavatara Sutra is, uh, maybe the, maybe the only other sutra that mentions Sri Maladevi Sutra by name. Kind of, it's kind of unusual for one sutra to kind of quote another. I think the Buddha says something in the Srimala Devi Sutra, it was taught, or you know, I taught, or Srimala Devi taught, such and such. So, um, therefore, we know it came afterwards, and uh, and it's related. So, something about one vehicle is is this the one practice we all share, and it's, it's another name for Buddha nature. The Buddha says. So, um, also, I just thought this was an interesting um, bit of uh, uh, teaching from Sun Mi, who uh, some of you know. Of, I'm, I'm a fan of his early, early Chinese Chan teacher that was really kind of trying to lay out early Zen as a kind of like path in comparison to other types of Buddhism, sort of an analytical way of, of talking about um, Zen, which um, not too many of the classic Zen teachers did. Very early Chinese Chan. He presented this um, system of like, there's, there's five vehicles, yana, vehicles, paths, and, um, and he says, Buddha's teaching goes from shallow to deep. So they're in order of shallow to deep. Uh, for Sunni, the first um, pat, uh, vehicle is that of humans and devas, humans and gods. So these are like not awakened beings, but humans have a path that we're all on. We have our human vehicle that we're presently living on. And, and devas in the heaven realms are um, have a very blissful path, but it's not an awakened path. They also have their yana. So there's the vehicle of humans and, and devas, but we should include them because they're, they can cultivate virtue. They can, they can practice generosity and so on. They can develop. They can even hear the dharma and they might actually, um, move on past the human and deva vehicles into the next. It's number two is called the small vehicle. It's, say hinayana. Um, which is like these, these, um, skillful means teachings of the Buddha that teach an individual liberation, um, nirvana for the individual person. And they don't emphasize, um, great compassion and the vow to liberate all beings. That's missing is why it's called the small vehicle. And number three, according to Sunni, is, uh, the Mahayana. The great vehicle, um, there's two types of Mahayana vehicles in this presentation of Sunni. The Mahayana Dharma Lakshana, um, which is associated with Yogacara. Um, Dharma Lakshana means characteristics of Dharma. So it's really looking at like how the mind works, the characteristics of everything, 
and how everything is, um, um, can't be, there's nothing can be found outside of mind. So that's, that's like, this is Mahayana now. This is, and it also includes Bodhisattva vow. The fourth vehicle for, um, for Sunni is another Mahayana, um, called, I don't know in, in Sanskrit what exactly it would be. Maybe like Nilakshana, like the absence of characteristics, uh, that would be like the middle way, the Madhyamaka teachings of Nagarjuna saying that instead of emphasizing exactly how the mind works and how all these different types of consciousnesses interact, this, this middle way teaching says, really, you can't find anything at all. There aren't any, there aren't any characteristics, ultimately speaking, at all. So that's kind of a stage beyond, um, the, uh, according to Sunni, things like Madhyamaka teachings are like a little bit even more subtle and true than the Yogacara teachings. And then the final fifth vehicle for Sunni is the Ekayana, the one vehicle. And, uh, which he connects with, um, I think we could say Buddha nature. He doesn't use that word exactly. He's, he's like manifesting nature. Or um, he, he's emphasizing the flower ornament sutra and the Tathagata jnana, the, the non-dual knowing of the Buddha, very similar to Buddha nature. And uh, Sumi elsewhere does say that this Bu- the Buddha nature teaching is like the highest. So we have this five vehicle teaching you know, of an early Zen teacher, Sumi, saying that the one vehicle associated with Buddha nature is the most profound, more profound than, than Yogacara and Madhyamaka, which are these amazingly profound Indian Buddhist schools. So I thought that was just uh, some interesting prelude to this next section, this next chapter called The One Vehicle. A long chapter, and it's it's difficult. I think this is actually, this chapter is the most difficult part of the sutra for myself. And, uh, and hard to, you know, bring out a, you know, simple, pithy, practical instructions. So I think, um, at the end, it gets really, gets really awesome. So I think, uh, the beginning part, um, the very beginning of the chapter, the Buddha says to Queen Fumala, Please now further explain this acceptance of the true Dharma that was taught by all the Buddhas. And she says, okay, I will. She says, acceptance of the true Dharma is acceptance of the Mahayana. The very beginning here. Um, and um, just as all the great rivers fr- flow from Lake Anavatapta, a heatless lake in the Himalayas from which like the Ganges and the, um, and the Indus River and the Yellow River in China, all the great rivers of Asia flow forth from this, um, uh, Lake Anavatapta. And, uh, in this way, all the good acts of the world, all the, all the good, um, you know, wholesome deeds of humans and devas, uh, 
and of the awakened bodhisattvas and of the Shravakas and the Parteka Buddhas. So he's mentioning all these different vehicles. They all emerge from the Mahayana, the great vehicle. So Fimala Devi says this at the beginning. Just like all the rivers emerge from this one lake, all these vehicles, awakened and unawakened, all paths of life uh, um, stream forth from the great vehicle, the Mahayana. And uh, Prince Shotoku comments, and like we already have been saying, he says, each of the five vehicles, he says, Shravakas, Prateka, Buddhas, and Bodhisattvas are three, and then he adds in humans and devas, kind of like Sumi, um, to make five vehicles. And he says that um, each of these five is part of the one vehicle. And uh, the five, to list the five, is just skillful means. So that's kind of a Lotus Sutra emphasis. And one means non-dual. Prince Shotoku says, I thought that was a nice, <laughs> obvious point maybe, but a good one. And vehicle means that which transports, that which carries someone to their destination. And in the one vehicle, if it's truly non-dual, we might even say that which transports and the destination to which it transports are non-dual. If it's really one vehicle, the path and the fruit vision are um, inseparable at least in the Zen version of the one vehicle. And the fruition is Buddha. So um, then, um, like Gregory was saying, the chapter begins with the Shravaka Yana. So it's talking about um, uh, the, the um, rules of the Pratimoksha precepts, the discipline of the Vinaya precepts, uh, leaving home and ordination. Right? These kinds of things are usually associated with the Shravaka and Prateka Buddha vehicles. So Srimadadev is willing to get into all that stuff and saying these are all skillful means and they're good ones. The Buddha offered them not just randomly. He thought this was helpful to for personal discipline and training the mind and, um, and uh, finding some freedom. Uh, and then um, Shimala Devi goes on <clears throat> and starts talking about the Mahayana and it's it's complicated <laughs> this chapter is quite complicated but there's some nice teachings if you have patience or maybe even Shanti Paramita, transcendent patience. You can spend a, a lot of time like this, like I know Gregory did. It's very impressive going through all these sections that um, bring out all these all these Dharma teachings. A lot about early Buddhist teachings, the path of Nirvana, and so on. And um, but in the in the um, 
this consideration of time, I'd like to jump ahead to the uh, near near the end of this chapter, maybe uh, six or so paragraphs from the, from the end. Um, Sri Maladeva is saying, Bhagavan, Buddha, those who first attained the stage of nirvana were not ignorant of the Dharma and were not dependent upon others. They also knew they had attained the stages with remainder through their own efforts and would inevitably attain supreme, complete awakening. This is the kind of difficult language of the sutra here. It's saying that I'm talking about the Shravakas and Pateka Buddhas um, attain nirvana. And the point here is that nirvana is not is not anuttara samyak sambodhi. Nirvana is not complete, perfect awakening of a Buddha. It's becoming an arhat or a prateka Buddha. Um, but they knew that they would, um, they, these disciples of the Buddha knew that they would eventually realize complete, perfect awakening. Why? Because the Shravaka and prateka Buddha vehicles are included in the great vehicle. Did they know, did they know that? The Shravakas and Pradika Buddhas? Maybe they did know that, or maybe he's saying they have an intuition. Their Buddha nature, they have Buddha nature and their Buddha nature knows this. And so their Buddha nature calls them onward further because these paths are part of the great vehicle. Uh, the Mahayana, Srimala Devi goes on to say, is the Buddha vehicle. The great vehicle is the Buddha vehicle which again is another name for the one vehicle. Therefore, here it is. Therefore, the three vehicles are the one vehicle. So that's a nice paragraph where it's saying that there are these Travakas and Pradika Buddhas. Um, they're included in the Mahayana, the great vehicle. The great vehicle, Mahayana, is the Buddha vehicle. Therefore, the three vehicles are the one vehicle. I think this is what Gregory was referring to as first the two, uh, Shravaka and Pajeka Buddha vehicles are included in the Mahayana. And then all three of them are included in the one vehicle. Collapsing. All, all, um, distinctions and dualities are collapsing into one at this point. And, uh, she goes on, those who attain the one vehicle attain supreme, complete, perfect awakening. Buddha. Perfect Buddhahood. Why? Because, let's see, um, supreme, complete, perfect awakening is the realm of nirvana, the nirvana datu. So here it's saying, that's really what nirvana is. Earlier, it's saying that the Travakas and Pratika Buddhas realize this nirvana means like cessation of suffering. They realize this supreme peace, the irreversible um, peace of the cessation of suffering, like a candle blown out, never to be relit. That kind of nirvana is prominent in the early teachings. Here, the Shumala Dev is saying, um, uh, the supreme perfect awakening 
is the realm of nirvana. It might be that the realm of nirvana, nirvana datu, is um, is not is a is not exactly the same as the nirvana, the cessation of suffering of the early um, small vehicle. Um, but it could be. It could be saying that's what it always was, but people didn't really understand that at the time. But that's really what it is. Uh, the realm of nirvana, this nirvana datu, is the dharma body of the tathagata. Uh, so the realm of nirvana is the dharmakaya. I don't know if that's the first time that term appears here. May I make a comment? Yes. The I see this realm of nirvana as being the stage of recognition of the non-duality of samsara and nirvana. Um, That's a good so nirvana is not someplace else. We this we are totally within the realm of nirvana, and that's that's a point being made about why it's the same as uh, anuttara samyak sambodhi. Okay, that, that even though the sutra doesn't say that exactly, I think it's a good interpretation, and that's how we could distinguish it from the shravaka's nirvana, the realm of nirvana, the nirvana datu is. The non-abiding nirvana that's, that's, um, doesn't abide in the, in either extreme of nirvana or samsara because it realizes the non-duality of samsara and nirvana. Yeah. And, um, it, again, it doesn't, I, I don't think it's said anywhere here commentary on exactly what this nirvana datu with that meaning, but, um, but maybe a little geeky aside here is that this term datu gets associated with Buddha nature. It's another, actually, it's another name for Buddha nature in some of the sutras. In fact, the very term Buddha nature in Chinese and Japanese may be a translation of Buddha datu. Um, it, mean, it can mean realm, but it's it's a, it's one of these Sanskrit words that's has like a lot of kind of, you can unpack it a lot, a lot of different um, nuances and implications in different schools of Buddhism. So sometimes just the word datu itself is, um, is a, used as a synonym for Jatagadagarbha or Buddha nature. So it may be that that's part of the feeling here of using this term to, um, nirvana datu is kind of a, a Buddha nature infused nirvana could be. Uh, so um, this this nirvana datu is um, is also called the dharmakaya, and it's called supreme perfect awakening. Dharmakaya, the reality body of the Buddha, is uh, an important term that really means like non-dual reality, all-inclusive suchness. And it has, a again, a kind of a nuance of, like, the knowing of that. The realization, it's a realization. It's a, um, it's an awareness. And it's, it's the spacious, empty aspect of awareness. The, the, the dharmakaya, the pure dharmakaya never appears or disappears. 
but it can manifest due to Buddha's vows as appearing and disappearing bodhisattvas and Buddha's benefiting beings. It's, it can do that. Uh, so here we're, get, we're getting some like equations. Uh, it's one of the things in a lot of these Mahayana sutras, they start equating all these terms. They're like, well, what's the difference between this, this, and that? Well, here we got the realm of nirvana is the same as the Dharmakaya, the reality body of the Buddha. It's the same as complete perfect awakening. It's the same as the one vehicle. In other sutras, it's the same as Buddha nature. Wow. This <coughs> Mahayana, <coughs> maybe we should say, one vehicle style is to start like um, incorporating everything into itself as kind of synonyms of itself. It's a beautiful style um, of non-duality. It doesn't include everything, but these key terms um, the Buddha, the, the one vehicle is the Buddha vehicle, is the great vehicle, is the Bodhisattva vehicle, and it includes the um, Shravaka vehicle and Pratika Buddha vehicle. The one vehicle is also supreme perfect awakening and, and this realm of nirvana and the Dharma body, which is unlimited and unceasing. The um, one vehicle is the Jitagata, the Buddha, that is great compassion. And this gets brought out more as the paragraphs continue here. <clears throat> um, the, uh, so the realm of nirvana is the Dharma body of the Jitagata, attaining absolute, the absolute ultimate Dharma body is attaining the ultimate one vehicle. So there's where they're equated. The, the Tagata is not different from the Dharma body. It's Tagata is a name for the Buddha, not different from the pure reality body of the Buddha. That's what we mean by the Buddha, is the Buddha's reality body. We don't mean some flesh and blood, um, you know, sick and dying kind of Buddha. Buddha did display that kind of activity, but really what we mean by the Buddha is the Dharmakaya being taught in this and many other Mahayana sutras. Attaining the ultimate uh, Dharma body is attaining the ultimate one vehicle. The Tathagata is not different from the Dharmakaya. The Tathagata is identical to the Dharmakaya. If one attains the ultimate dharmakaya, then one attains the ultimate one vehicle. The ultimate one vehicle is unlimited and unceasing. It's, it's unlimited, meaning it's boundless. It has no limits or um, edges or boundaries. And it's unceasing. It means it has no end or begin thereby beginning. So it's timeless dimensionless, locationless, and pervades everywhere. All times and places it pervades without itself being in any time or place. That's how the Dharma Kaya is. And that's how the one vehicle is. And that's how 
to target it is, and that's how complete perfect awakening is. And, uh, oh, Bhagavan, it's a targeter who's not limited by time, is the Jatagata, the Arhat, the perfectly awakened one, equal to the utmost limit of the cycle of birth and death. Or maybe we could translate it as the utmost um, limit of all present and future lives. Basically, we're talking about all-inclusiveness here. The Jatagata is without limitation. His great compassion is also unlimited, bringing peace and comfort to the world. You know, there's not really any gender pronouns here. Maybe we shouldn't say his or hers. We should just say the Tathagatas, the Buddhas. Unlimited great compassion brings unlimited peace and comfort to the world. This explanation is a good explanation (laughs) concerning the Tathagata. If one again speaks of the inexhaustible Dharma, the eternally abiding Dharma, that is the refuge of all worlds, this is also a good explanation concerning the Tathagata. Really, Srimala Dev is really emphasizing the Buddha we're talking about here is um, unlimited peace and comfort and um, a refuge for all worlds. Therefore, in a world that has not been saved, a world without a refuge, there is an inexhaustible, eternally abiding refuge equal to the utmost limit of all births and deaths, namely the Tathagata, the Arhat, the perfectly enlightened one, which is how the Buddha referred to himself. Uh, So he's kind of playing with, these are names I call myself, but we're not talking about a person here anymore. We're talking about reality itself, all pervading. That is realized by all Buddhas. And, and uh, Shimala Devi says, goes on to say, well, now we know that the Buddha, the Tathagata, the Buddha is the one vehicle. Now she goes on to say, the Dharma is the path of the one vehicle, and the Sangha is the assembly of the three vehicles. That's how Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha are being defined here. Buddha is inconceivable, boundless, timeless um, reality. And uh, the Dharma is the path of the one vehicle. And the Sangha is the assembly of the three vehicles. Which kind of sounds like Buddha and Dharma are almost the same here. And then Sangha is like included is where we can start talking about different vehicles, different ways of practicing in a sangha. But we know that all these ways of practicing in the assembly of practitioners are all within the one vehicle. So uh, these two refuges, the Buddha, I mean the Dharma and the sangha, are not the ultimate refuge. They are called partial refuge. Why? The dharma of the path of the one vehicle attains the ultimate dharma body. Furthermore, there can be no dharma body other than that of the one vehicle. It's emphasizing that of these three, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, uh, here Sri Mahadeva is saying that Buddha is the, 
is the origin, the all-inclusiveness. Dharma and Sangha are included within the Buddha, and the Buddha is primary. Dharma and Sangha are not ultimate refuge. The way they're being talked about here is they, they kind of are. But I hear, I hear like Srimala Devi saying, if, if you want to like emphasize, if you want to have one refuge, if you could only choose one of the three, <laughs> then let it be Buddha. It's like hearing it here. Uh, the assembly of the three vehicles, that's the Sangha, being afraid seeks refuge in the Tathagata. So you say some tar- some of the sangha, like the shravakas, might be afraid. Lit earlier in the chapter, it mentions that interestingly, the shravakas are afraid of suffering. That's why they're like we want to check out of the samsara business as soon as possible and not come back because it's super painful. And um, and I hope you can get there too. But I, but um, I'm got to go right now. <laughs> so they're they're kind of afraid of suffering where the bodhisattvas are not afraid of suffering. They're like we are they also they're also into total freedom from suffering and they realize emptiness. So therefore they're not so afraid of suffering because all the suffering that they're undergoing is not is not really as substantial as they thought it was. So where the shravakas are trying to get out of this samsaric thing as quickly as possible, the bodhisattvas are like, actually, I'm willing to like hang out here forever. I don't mind because it's empty. But there's all these beings here who really don't think that it's empty. And therefore, they're really suffering. So I'm going to stay around here until everybody realizes that it's okay. And when we all realize it's okay, then nobody needs to stick around because there isn't really any around anyway. The only reason we're even appearing to be around here is to free other appearing beings who feel actually that this is a really big problem. We got to get out of it. Okay. 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 We'll stay with you. Stay. Say, uh, because, um, we're not afraid. I like this image. Um, this uh, bodhisattva um, image of like uh, how do the how do bodhisattvas help beings? It's like there's like a, like a child is terrified of the monster in the closet. So the um, the uh, the mother says. Don't worry, Sonny. There's no monster in the closet because she is convinced. She's totally confident there's no monster in the closet. She's not afraid at all. But the child's afraid. There's no monster. But the child's like, yes, there is. Mommy, there is. No, no, there's really not. Yes, there is. Okay, well, let's go check. And they open the closet and look and... uh but the, but the child won't look all the way in because it's terrified. So even, even trying to show that there's no monster in the closet still doesn't quite help this child. But so then the, the mother's skillful means as the sporty's office is, I can't really like explain 
at this to the child. They're just not, um, it's not going to, it's not working. But what I can do is say, well, then just, I know it's, it's scary. So just come over here and sit on my lap here and let me just hold you. And, uh, and the shivering, terrified child, it, um, crawls onto mommy's lap and mommy's not afraid. And, um, she no longer tries to say anything to convince the, the child that there's no monster. She just holds the child. But because the mom's not afraid, it's like osmosis. It's like this is like transferred, transmitted to the child, the mother's fearlessness. Because the mother's not afraid of the monster. So um, they're willing to live. And even if the monsters start appearing in the room, the mother's still not afraid. And that's how the bodhisattvas are willing to continue living in a monster-filled world to, to, to um, alleviate the fear of monsters until, the, until all the children are like happy to just go play in, a, in the monster-filled world and then their work is done. But this might take a long, long time. <laughs> uh, yes, Mako. Yes, thank you. I, I had a question about this, you know, when you said that the Pratyeka Buddhas are afraid of suffering, and I immediately thought afraid of their own suffering or others' suffering. I think so, both. Both? Yeah. And then the Bodhisattva not being afraid of suffering again, their own suffering <laughs> or yeah. others' suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All really suffering. Others, but all suffering. Yeah, I think all, yeah. But it'd be, that's a nice meditation to contemplate how. The, um, you know, at least on the path, the Shravika path, maybe even not, maybe even, I think it might even be impl- implying that even the Arhats who realize Nirvana are afraid of suffering. Um, I think it's both are true. Like their own, you know, strictly speaking, I think like from, if, if we read the Pali canon, that's not really, it's not really taught that way. Once you, you're an Arhat, you're not afraid of suffering and you're done with it. But this Mahayana Sutra is, is bringing out that point. Maybe the fear is very slight. It's like, I finished the work, but I think it's that I could imagine the sutra saying in the, in the deepest recesses of the, of the subconscious mind of the Arhat, they're just like, I'm totally cool now, but like, be careful. <laughs> like, like, uh, I'm, I'm living out in the forest. I'm totally cool, but like, I'm not going into town. You know, that's scary. <laughs> there's could be some suffering in there. It could be some attachments. So like, just like in their unconscious, maybe they're afraid of their own suffering. And also when there's people from town come out to the forest and they're like, Hey, Arhat dude, <laughs> fix me up with some Nirvana. <laughs> and the Arhats are like, I'm out of here. <laughs> they're they're kind of a little bit afraid of those people coming. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good meditation. The bodhisattvas aren't afraid of their own or other suffering. And in fact, I think another way to talk about this meditation of are we, you know, our own suffering and other suffering is great compassion is um the Buddhist definition really of compassion is the wish to 
um, end suffering. They wish to alleviate all beings from suffering. So in a way, you could say compassion is just directed towards ending all suffering, one's own and others. It's like without even making the distinction. Definitely not, you know, the arhats might be like making too much of a distinction about their own suffering, but the bodhisattvas, we, I think, don't make a distinction. Only other suffering. I don't care about my own suffering. I think it's like all suffering, their own and others. We just want to end this illusion called suffering indiscriminately. Thank you. And, um, So if there are living beings who are subdued by the Tathagata, Srimala Devi says, they will seek refuge in the Tathagata, attain the permeation of the Dharma, and will have faith and happiness seeking refuge in the Dharma and Sangha. Subdued by the Tathagata maybe means that Buddha, reality of Buddha, envelops um, living beings that's being subdued by the Tathagata, overcome by the Buddha. And when this happens, then they also, then they take refuge in the Tathagata, the Buddha, and they also are permeated by the Dharma. So they, then they trust the Dharma and are happy trusting the Dharma. And then therefore they take refuge in the Dharma and the Sangha. These two refuges, Dharma and Sangha, however, are not two refuges, for they seek refuge in the Tathagata, seeking refuge in the supreme truth is seeking refuge in the Tathagata. So um, again, it's maybe a little clunky wording, but what I think it's saying is that it's this collapsing thing these sutras are doing. Everything, all the vehicles collapse into the one vehicle, and in this case, the three refuges collapse into the Buddha refuge. Um, they're all inclu- they're not like really lesser than they're just included within some other sutras emphasize the dharma and i've heard some teachers say you the dharma is really the supreme refuge because the buddha you need the dharma for the buddha to realize the dharma so i think that's a legitimate teaching too but here it's emphasizing buddha buddha means awakeness so um that's what's being emphasized. And from this awakeness, that is the understanding of Dharma and that, and the Sangha of practitioners emerges from this. So the three refuges, Buddha is in the sutra is the eternal Dharmakaya, the reality body of the Buddha, and also Bodhi and awakening and Nirvana. In the Sutra, Dharma is the Ekayana, the one vehicle, the path to attain the reality body of Buddha. And Sangha is the assembly of the three yanas, the three vehicles that are all part of the Ekayana, one vehicle. And this, and Prince Yotoku says, this is the single bodied triple treasure, which is a term that Dogen uses. Uh, later, uh, this, the one body triple treasure is, um, this version, ultimate Buddha Dharma and Sangha, the Dharmakaya, the one vehicle, and the assembly of all vehicles. 
all of them are the ultimate truth. And all three of these refuges are Buddha. We could say that the three vehicles are the conventional truth, the skillful means, the conventional truth, and the one vehicle is the ultimate truth. And the conventional truth is um, subsumed within the ultimate truth. So that's a lot. Luckily, we skipped over most of this chapter. It would have been rough going. I think this ending part is really where it's making its main points about the one vehicle. Do you have any um, questions about any of this so far? Might take some readings through to even come up with questions, right? But um, as you can see, it's it's emphasizing the ultimate oneness is what a lot of his Mahayana sutras are doing. And I really appreciate how they do that. Um, Choro says, ending all suffering, not thinking mine or others is a very wonderful and helpful teaching. Yeah, compassion for all suffering and uh, um We might even say saving all beings is actually, we could understand it as, as without, without thinking of like all these individual beings, we just want to, um, relieve all suffering. That would be one way to understand. Suffering is, is boundless, number, numberless types of suffering. I vow to end it. It's kind of the first Bodhisattva and the second. So um, that's that's a rough summary of the one vehicle teaching in the sutra. And now I'm I'm personally very excited now to these next three classes is where we're really going to get into um, Buddha nature and Tathagatagarbha, which is I think unique, really unique teachings in the sutra that aren't found anywhere else. And um, so stay tuned, same channel, uh, same time next week. And now a word from our sponsor. May our intention equally extend to every being and place with the two merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. And, uh, you know, just lastly, you might feel like, well, it is hard to find some practical teachings in all of this ultimate exquisite exposition of the one vehicle. Um, but you could, one way you might take it up, like in Zazen, is um, if you're quite settled in Zazen and you and um, you're just quite present and and uh, um, and maybe slightly bored, you could ask yourself the question: um, Where is the one vehicle right now? 
I, I give permission to ask the question during Zazen. Thank you. Good night.